Hi, folks. So today we're going to be talking about the movie First Man, which is by Damien Chazelle and stars Ryan Gosling. This is a very special movie to me for a lot of reasons. Uh, probably the most superficial one is that it stars Ryan Gosling and it was made in 2017, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure if you were around then and if you were around quiet politics, it seemed like Ryan Gosling was, you know, channeling the energies of the university he started and played for under 2049, which is, is uh, still one of my favorite movies and Betty starred in this movie which in my opinion is even better and, and is one of the, the best American films of all time at the core of it is the idea of Ryan Gosling as literally me right he's like kind of autistic you know I'm sure he's very nice and personable in real life and obviously he's this very like handsome and charismatic movie star but he, he plays in Blade Runner and and also in First Man someone who is not conventionally heroic and he's not uh, you know, he has a pretty narrow emotional bandwidth and is not your typical hero type. And I think that's at the core of this movie's appeal and why I think it's so special is that it has a fundamentally different vision of uh, masculinity and heroism and a lot of these kind of internal themes or jumping off points for exploration that you see in a lot of places, but you see them in a lot of places done in very dumb ways. Coming back to First Man, I rewatch it um, probably every year, sometimes a few times a year. And I think it's just got this beautiful vision. And it was one of those like lightning in a bottle movies, kind of like, uh, you know, I, I, this might be a genre at this point. But it's like the libtard Ubermensch because, you know, the Damien Chazelle, I don't mean this in a derisive way. I get the feeling that he's just like a normie lip. And, uh, you know, it's like with the the movie Boys in the Boat, which I did another episode on, with, which was done by uh, George Clooney. But both of these guys are, are very lived-hearted, but these are things I think that, like, if you are involved in right-wing politics or interested in it, like, you can get a lot from them. I think they're beautiful and things that you can watch with your family and enjoy, and they're not over-the-top propaganda in the way, you know, movies like The Daily Wire or original movies, which I also have another episode on, kind of seem a little bit way too on the nose and can't be enjoyed uh, to the same degree. So this is a movie that starts at the earliest days of the space race between the U.S. and the Soviet Union and proceeds until uh, Neil Armstrong and the Apollo 11 crew landed on the moon. And you can kind of view it as a straight-up history, right? It recounts a lot of the, the major beats of that story and the, the, you know, the grand technological conflict between America and the Soviet Union. But it's really more of a conventional biopic in that the movie's about Neil Armstrong's role in the space race, right? It's about Neil Armstrong specifically. The title gives it all away. Who is going to be the first man? Who will be the guy who they take to be the first man on the moon? And the qualities that lend Neil Armstrong to that kind of world historical role. And I think if people were a little turned off by that because the qualities that make someone, um, there's a, a good movie, it's not great, but it is very good, called The Right Stuff, which is about, I think, the Mercury program, and it also covered the earliest days of the space race. And it covers the kind of fundamental split between design philosophies of the, the U.S. and the Soviet Union, where in the Soviet sphere, pilots were kind of unnecessary to the Soviet plan, right? That was a, a big, I mean, I, you know, this is a theme of the movie, and I think it was a, a, you know, I think it was pretty true life, where going to the moon was seen as a, a purely engineering problem, right? You build a spaceship, and there's going to be a person in the spaceship 
but really the person is in the spaceship just um, as kind of an achievement in its own right, right? The, the, the actual pilot has a very minimal role. And in fact, the pilots taking a role in the operation of the spaceship was viewed with kind of hostility by the engineers because you can't predict how a human being is going to react, right? Like it, that's not something that you can control. The opposite of how the American space program ended up developing and the movie The Right Stuff covers this, where pilots and engineers kind of work hand in hand, and the role of the, the actual human being in the cockpit was viewed as kind of essential, right? There's a great moment in The Right Stuff where the test pilots all begin to insist that there is a window in the spaceship. And obviously, you know, adding a window to this metal capsule that's going to be, you know, subjected to huge forces, that's a failure point. There's a huge engineering complication. But the pilots were adamant that if their sensors go down, they need at least some way to get their bearings. And I think that that's like, you know, again, it's like a fundamental difference in de design philosophy. And I think that it's one that really paid off. And the movie First Man makes that case because the space program has seen through the movie First Man encounters so many problems that are only solvable by that human factor, or I think as the movie makes the case, that superhuman factor, right? Neil Armstrong, he was a human being, but he's kind of like a real-life superhero, right? He's this person of extremely exceptional abilities, and it's those exceptional abilities that allow him to achieve this seemingly impossible task that I think that, like, mere logic and mere science and mere engineering would have had no chance to achieve. And the way the movie achieves this is by capturing the enormous physicality of the early space program, which I guess when you think about it, it kind of makes sense. But the beautiful thing about film is you can actually see it on screen. You can see these ideas realized with a vividness that you can't really find anywhere else. So the opening scene does a great job capturing this. Um, you can find this clip online. I really recommend you see it. I was lucky enough, I was living in New York at the time, and I, I got to see it in IMAX, and it was, you know, really staggering there. But Neil Armstrong is a test pilot that's flying the X-15, which is like an experimental rocket um, ship that could go kind of above the atmosphere slightly. I mean, they used it to test a lot of different rocket designs and things like that and break speed records. And Neil Armstrong's find the X-15, and it seems like the thing is that, sh that airplane is going to shake itself to pieces. It is so loud. It is so cramped, right? This is a thing that was built by human beings, and you feel that, and, you know, it groans under the enormous forces that it's being subjected to. You know, I, I love when directors are fascinated with the details. And I watched some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, and it seemed like everyone had an enormous amount of respect for the details and the kind of gravity of the character situations. And this gravity is hammered home by the fact that in, in that opening scene, the plane bounces off the atmosphere. And, you know, I, I don't know. If that's something bouncing off the atmosphere is not a really a problem that I've ever thought a lot about a lot. But that's a really terrifying thing, right? You're flying this experimental plane. You're in this tin can. It's going like a million miles an hour. And then you want to go back down to safety, you know, back to normal life. But you actually physically can't due to some, you know, complex science thing that I don't understand. And so the plane is bouncing off the atmosphere. And there's a real danger that if he doesn't, you know, if Dio Armstrong doesn't fix the problem, he's just going to go off into space forever, and he has to kind of find a solution under this extreme stress and these extreme conditions to bring himself that back down to Earth. But even when he's bringing himself back down to Earth, 
he's got to still, you know, fly a plane. And I don't think the plane actually had any, you know, it had very rudimentary controls. They want to make these things as light as possible and basically strap this huge rocket engine to the back. And it's really amazing. And it, it hammers home the stakes of it, right? Like you could die at any minute, but you could die at any minute because you're in this kind of impossible machine. But it's, it's not an impossible machine. It's something that people had built in real life. And I think they used, like physically used one of the X-15s, at least on the ground. And that's another great thing. Like they're filming all this stuff on location, oftentimes with the original equipment that was used in the moon landing program. Like they used the, the huge crawler, you know, the, the actual rockets weigh like a trillion pounds. And they can't just build the rocket on the landing pad. They have to move it out a few miles to the launch pad. And that requires this like enormous, crazy sci-fi machine. But the sci-fi machine exists in real life and they, they got it in the movie. So you have this enormous physicality and then you have these real human stakes. And this is another thing where, you know, it makes sense if you think about it, but you just don't think about it anymore. But like a lot of people actually died to pull off the moon landing and many of them died in these very horrible ways, right? It's like you could be, you know, you're flying an experimental aircraft and if one thing goes wrong, like you are going to disintegrate. And several of the major characters in the movie First Man Who Neil Armstrong is friends with, you know, I don't know how pussy they were in real life, but like you feel the weight of that loss because these guys died in just horrible ways. Some of them die off screen just as casually as snapping your finger, right? He's coming in for a landing and something broke in the plane and he's going 400 miles an hour or, you know, maybe 4,000 miles an hour. And there's just no chance of surviving that crash. Or... You're sitting in the on the launch pad and someone messed up the air mixture in the pod and a spark ignites the air in the pod and all of you just burn alive horribly over the course of 30 seconds. There's no way for you to escape because someone just didn't consider an important factor of this impossibly complicated machine. By the end, you kind of see, you know, Ryan Gosling, he's never this very expressive person in the movie. But you see him becoming kind of more and more dedicated to it as he loses more and more. And he, he really does believe that his sacrifices will mean something in the end. And he's kind of like fully committing himself to this beautiful idea that, that man can walk on another planet. He's getting beaten up pretty bad. Like there's a great scene where he's on one of the crude simulators that they have. It's like a hovercraft. They used to simulate landing on the moon. And it's got like weird gravity and, and the controls are all weird. And... He, he doesn't do it exactly right, and he has to eject 75 feet off the ground, and the, the machine, when it actually crash lands, just blows up, and he is torn to ribbons, getting dragged around by his parachute. So, like, these are, these are real stakes, and it makes the accomplishments of the, the people who are engaged in this kind of grand vision that much more impressive, and you realize that they're, it's only very, very rare individuals who could physically do it, but could also mentally stay present enough to continue with this task that seems more and more impossible the more deep you get into it. And speaking of getting deep into something, uh, if you're a free subscriber, you could listen up to this point. I'm, I'm sure you thought you were a big genius, you know, finding the free only version of this episode and that, you know, maybe I clicked the wrong button or something like that. Uh, but I didn't. I tricked you again. Uh, I'm going to cut you off here. If you're a free subscriber, I just have complete contempt for you. You are a Bolshevik. You are someone who is an enemy of human life. And you need to be stopped. And I'm going to stop you one way or another. Like, I'm going to stop the episode, but I might, like, stop your entire cosmic existence at some point. You're just disgusting. You're scum. 
It's only $5 a month, man. With inflation, that's like half of a lunch, and you can't even fork over that for this podcast. Like, fuck you, man. Like, what do you think I am? Do you think I'm a joke? Do you think I just am, am meaningless that I'll blow along with the wind and let you parasite off me and really parasite off our whole society? No, it, it ends here. The episode ends here for you. Uh, goodbye.